We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, goes for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Brian Burns to the house! And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. Keep pounding on three. One, two, three. Keep pounding. All right, friends, welcome into the Roar Podcast. John Ellis, Billy Marshall, Blue Wire. We're here with you for the next uh, 45 minutes to an hour, depending on how we feel. Just a quick footnote here. Matt Rule, of course, if you haven't heard, has been fired by David Tepper. He is no longer the head coach of the Panthers, 11-27 and 27 record. Steve Wilkes takes over. Billy and I talked around 1 p.m. today about this. You'll hear that audio here momentarily. We did not mention at the time that Phil Snow had been fired. He has. The defensive coordinator of the Panthers is no longer uh, the defensive coordinator of the Panthers. He's been let go as well as special teams assistant Ed Foley. It's going to be Al Holcomb taking over on defense now under Steve Wilkes. So just a little programming note. We didn't mention that in the show you're about to hear because the news had not broken yet. With that said, here's Billy Marshall and myself on a Monday edition of the Roar Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of The Roar brought to you by Blue Air. I'm your host, Billy Marshall. And joining me on this busy Monday, October 10th, it's John Ellis. John, quite the news here this morning from Mint Street. How are you? Hey, Billy, I'm good. Uh, Really bad performance by uh, Carolina this past Sunday. And I I think that was along with another of uh, many issues that have been going on with this team led to the news that we found out of just a couple of hours ago here that David Tepper has uh, terminated the contract of Matt Rule. So a lot to get to, man. Yeah. So just to recap everything that's happened since our last episode, uh, the Panthers lost to the 49ers yesterday, a game which they were pretty humiliated. Uh, the, Attendance looked like a 49ers home game, uh, which I guess shouldn't be too surprising. The 49ers, uh, that fan base travels well. And when you're a struggling team like Carolina, it's even uh, it's going to be even more uh, noticeable in your home stadium. Uh, and then this morning, we got the news that Matt Rule will, has been let go and Steve Wilkes uh, takes over on an interim basis. Uh, we'll get to everything associated with this news and how it impacts the team moving forward. But first, um, yesterday's game was not a surprise to me, John, um, especially given the injury news with LeVu and Chin being out. You know, San Francisco offensively, they did what they whatever they wanted to do. Uh, it wasn't even close. And, um, you know, a few players had decent games. I thought Derek Brown, again, looked all right. But uh, for the most part, uh, that team the 49ers uh, I mean they're so well coached on both sides of the ball um, it, that really should not have been a surprise to me regardless of uh, you know what Carolina's position is right now in the NFL 100% Billy you know I looked at some tape on the 49ers defense I mean I I, I tried to do this before every game I'm guilty of not doing it kind of getting the you know behind enemy lines looking at seeing what the other team does well 
you know, I mentioned earlier this week, and it might be hyperbole, but that 49ers defense is playing about as good and fast and coordinated as, as the Vic Fangio days with Alden Smith off the edge. And, I mean, you know, last week Bosa had nine pressures on Stafford. And that offensive line I know is the best. Carolina's stabilized theirs. But I just felt on both sides it was going to be a tough matchup. I think it's interesting that Carolina deferred to start the game, kicked off, and Kyle Shanahan just goes right to it. And Jimmy, to his credit, you know, we've been hard on Garoppolo, but he was very spot on yesterday, very fluid in the pocket. And uh, Jeff Wilson, I mean, man, you know, it's just the Shanahan tree. You just find new backs, plug them in, one cut and go. Uh, Kevin Coleman continues to haunt us, Billy. (laughs) It's been a decade. And that guy caught a wheel route, which – just uh, was amazing. Uh, yeah, there, it was a complete ass whooping. And, you know, I hate that for some of these players because I know that, you know, they're working their ass off. They're trying hard. But San Francisco is, is clearly a team on a better trajectory right now, despite some of their slow start issues this year. They've stayed I just ran to uh, a bit of a buzzsaw with them yesterday. Yeah, it, it happens. And when you have a big coaching mismatch like you saw yesterday it's going to be even more precipitated but uh, on the bright side I thought Iquanu had his best game as a rook you know as you know in the NFL uh, PFF graded him out with the 92.1 grade and uh, his run blocking was actually really stood out 98.0 so uh, encouraging signs from you know a young guy that's kind of played well um, the past few weeks and overall I think he's been positive offensively uh, but like we mentioned um, you know on this show uh, in the past and even in the previous show with Vish uh, the way San Francisco just creates leverages with their offensive line and these and, and they they were missing Brunskill and Trent Williams I mean Trent Williams is an all-pro and likely a hall of famer and yep. so for them to just step in you know their backups and third stringers back up and go in there it kind of just speaks to you know how well they're coached just the leverage they're able to look and the angles they're able to create in the run game and you know that's sort of what i hope this team looks for and when they do search for a new head coach which we'll get to all that in a second here but you know offensively it's still the same issues it's there's really not much else i want to say that hasn't already been said on this show for the past four weeks so, I mean, the quarterback continues to play poorly. He was seen in a walking boot after the game. I don't know what his status is. It doesn't seem like Sam Darnold is going to be healthy anytime soon. Um, yeah, I saw him on the sideline yesterday. He still looked like, you know, he's going to be out for a while. Um, I don't know, John. The, the, is there anything you want to say on the offense outside of maybe like giving Iquanu an offensive line a shout out? Because I just I don't see it with this unit anymore. Yeah, you know, I'm the, we'll do our stock rising, stock falling later in the show, and I've got some more detailed answers on that, but not really. I mean, look, McAdoo is, I guess, diversifying a few things. You saw the pony formation yesterday. They put a couple of, of their halfbacks in at the same time. Uh, the foreman saw more playing time. Uh, the scheme is what it is. You know, the, the, he's doing some things, I think, a little bit more creatively now. Whether that's better or not, I can't speak to that until I look at the entire tape, which I've looked at about half of it right now. Um, you know, McCaffrey, once again, you know, he had that one long run where they got him out in space. I thought that was a nice call for the touchdown. Uh, that was probably about half of his rushing yardage yesterday. That's what you're going to get when you face San Francisco. I mean, they've allowed like one 100-yard rusher over the last 19 games. So it's it's one of the toughest boxes to face. Warner, uh, Dre, I mean, all these guys, they're just really good at what they do. It reminds me of Keekley and Davis back in the prime for Carolina. They're just so physical and so disciplined, and they read their keys. Uh, Marshall got in the game. Nice play. Had a few catches. Anderson had that one big deep shot to the boundary. I thought Ward locked him down other than that. Uh, he, he's a good player, too, by the way. I mean, that was a great pickup for Frisco. But, no, I don't really have a lot to add. I thought Aquanu was really good. I thought Corbett was excellent. Uh, really good find there. Uh, the offensive line, just it's worth noting that this is the only starting five in the league all year that's played 
without missing a snap together. So it, it is frustrating, Billy, because you finally got, you know, a five together that's not perfect, but they're together and they're competent and they're much better than last year, I think. And you're still working with spare parts at quarterback. Mayfield, I don't think, had a, has had a stretch of games this bad in his career consecutively. And I think that speaks a lot to his regression relative to the coaching here, the scheme here. So it, it takes a lot of people to be this bad in the passing game. But DJ Moore didn't start sucking overnight. You know, it's and he doesn't suck. It's just the end of the point I'm getting to. The guy's used to catching seven, eight balls a game, getting about 80, 90 yards, a lot of it on rack. They're feeding McCaffrey a lot now, but so much of that was just late check down stuff. It's just a mess. And, uh, you know, I know they, they got rid of the head coach, but once again, it's interesting that the staff is still here kind of looking around like, all right, <laughs> we don't really know each other that well. Let's roll. Yeah, we're recording this 1 p.m. Eastern on Monday, October 10th. So uh, we haven't heard from anyone in the organization uh, regarding the news. Usually there's uh, the owner or the GM speaks whenever this happens. And uh, in addition to that, we haven't heard from Steve Wilkes, the interim head coach. Uh, so maybe there's more staff changes along the way. Uh, but for now, uh, we're just going to assume it's status quo. Yeah, John, I think we can do more analysis on this game. Everyone should go follow you on Twitter, one uh, Panther place. I think the big news is obviously the decision to move on from Matt Rule, which um, to me wasn't a surprise. This was going to happen eventually. Um, yeah, you can debate whether it should have been happened at the end of last year, which I thought it should have. But I think that because of his large contract uh the owner did not want to eat that money now you can we can have another conversation about whether it's right for the owner who's this billionaire to you know suck it up and take all that money but as we've seen in his business decisions uh with rock hill uh i'm not calling him cheap i'm just saying he's someone who isn't he kind of wants to take uh very cautious with his money let's just say he's very cautious with his money and how he spends it Again, fine. That's his prerogative. I have my own beliefs on how a billionaire should go about spending his money, especially as it relates to an NFL franchise, which consistently rakes in billions of revenue. But again, I'm going to set that aside. So eventually, year three, uh, after five weeks, Matt Rule does get the sack. I I don't want to spend too much time on whether it was the right decision or the wrong decision. I think you and I both agree on that. I don't want to even spend time on when it happens. Let's just get to why this happened eventually. Why did Matt Rule fail as an NFL head coach, according to you? Well, first of all, Billy, just a little breaking news. As you were mentioning, we're recording this around 1 p.m. Eastern on Monday. Uh, Ian Rappaport is reporting now that Baker Mayfield will miss time and that P.J. Walker is in line to start this week against them. So just a quick little update for everybody out there. We'll you know, continue to follow up on that. Why, why did it not work for Matt Rule? I mean, where do we start? You know, Billy, I think this is – the minute it happened, um, I, I was a skeptic. And, you know, I, I know there was a parade of folks in, in the media, not only locally but nationally, who drummed this up. I think there was a lot of uh, hope that this would be the right thing. Um, if, if you followed me at all since 2020, and I know Billy, you and I have done this pod since then. It's fun. You and I started this pod during Matt Rule's first summer here. And, uh, so we got to see this journey together and chronicle all of it. And I never thought it was going to work. I just never got the sense that it was going to be transferable. All the things they had talked about, uh, in terms of, well, Matt Rule is a program builder, Matt Rule develops and, and Matt Rule is is a you know builder of programs okay well where was the strategic edge you see coaches being hired left and right some of whom don't have a lot of experience at the you know nfl level but they've been in the nfl tree you know such as uh, let's just say the coach of the Bengals last year's super bowl uh runner-up to zach taylor i know they took one on the chin last night but i think they've got the right guy overall uh, Shanahan, McVeigh. I mean, these guys all have strategic edges to what they do in that you can identify, you know what, okay, this guy, that's his signature. That's his NFL signature. That's his, quote, brand, I guess. Um, Matt never had that. So it was always a bit of a blindfold, you know, walk in the dark. It was going to be a mystery. 
And I think Tepper from the beginning, you know, just from what I've heard about the guy and I don't know David Tepper, but I believe he's one to think, okay, you know what? I'm going to be the trendsetter. It's, it's going to be me that makes this move. And uh, for the first time since Jimmy Johnson did it, I will be the one to bring in a head coach uh, from the college ranks who's had almost no NFL experience, and it will transfer beautifully. And it's never really worked. Like I said, other than Jimmy Johnson, you can point to Kingsbury, but again, he played in the league, and he's even got his flaws. So I just think from the beginning, when you have the resources that David Tepper has and you're parked outside, basically, I mean, it's a little bit of hyperbole, but it's pretty true. You got Marty Herney with you and you're parked outside of David Tepper's house in Waco waiting on him to come back from vacation, willing to outbid the New York Giants of all teams, a team that has shown right now they've got the right guy, I think. But before they've just gone through coaching failure after coaching failure. So it came down to those two teams and David Tepper, you know, outbid. When I think when you look back, those resources, I don't, you know, look, McDaniels, the enemy, these are some of the names that were being bandied around back then. McCarthy, I'm not necessarily high on any of those guys, but I think you could have done better than Matt Rule for your dollar. Fair enough. You did it. You gave him one year. There was a pandemic year. Fair enough. They go on from Bridgewater year two. They go to Sam Darnold. Now, who's to say that was entirely on Matt Rule? But from what I'm told, hey, Matt has a heavy say or had a heavy say in personnel. Matt was right in the middle of that Darnold trade. A lot of that lies on Fitterer, too. And he's got some accountability here as well moving forward. And then, of course, year three. You know, the thing I, I saw, Billy, were the trends. With Ron Rivera, with John Fox, you saw teams trending up in the first couple of years after the month of like October, you saw the team starting to click and get it. And they stabilized their quarterback positions eventually one way or another. Uh, Matt's an inability to do this, uh, coupled with the fact that the team continued to play worse and worse down the stretch each season. I, I think that's your factor right there. And I just, you know, bringing him back, I, you know, look, I didn't have a huge problem with it once they made the decision. I liked the staffing moves. But if the whole premise was, okay, he's coming back, but you better get some rock star head co- or rock star offensive coordinators and, and, and special teams coordinators and some rock stars in this building to help you, that's not a win for Matt Rule. He didn't, you know, it's, it's not like Rule went out and magically did that. Guys are out there on the market looking for jobs. They went out and found good coaches, some of whom are good coaches. Tabor's been great, by the way. Uh, I think Campen's been solid. McAdoo has been a downgrade, in my opinion. So, yeah, the proof is in the pudding. You you lose that many games when you uh, give up 17 points. That's historically bad. And uh, they're, they're historically bad on third down this year, Billy. They're at 24%. That's worse than the 2010 Panthers. There's so many things you can point to. But overall, you got to win games. They didn't win nearly enough. And uh, this has been plenty of time to evaluate that. Yeah, I mean, I really have nothing further to add. I think you hit a nail on the head. I, I will say that I was, um, in the interest of accountability, I was a little higher on the, um, the higher itself than, than you are, and, and that's fine. You, you know, I, I do uh, want to give you credit for getting that right, and ultimately, uh, my reason for optimism was kind of based on some of, you know, the work he did. Uh, in his past stops at Temple and Baylor and the ability to rebuild. Uh, sure. Unfortunately for Carolina, they did not rebuild the first year. They kept uh, a lame duck GM and they t- moved on from Cam Newton, which they should have done. I have no disagreements there. Uh, but what I disagree with is how they went about it, uh, giving Teddy Bridgewater that big contract. Uh, and then if you're going to pursue that plan of action, you also want to set yourself up for success. And I don't feel like they did that. Uh, they focused only on defense that offseason. They probably could have used more assets offensively that year, especially on the offensive line or as a replacement for McCaffrey. Um, I remember the, those running backs that they had there, it, it got a little, little grim for a little while because McCaffrey only played like four games that season. Right. So I'll add this just real, real quick. I'll add this that, you know, I, I've got a good friend who has been a part of that organization for a long time and 
works around the NFL and he unequivocally, and he told me this at the time, and you and I've talked about this, that the Teddy Bridgewater decision was 100% bad rule. And, and one of his close associates who came here, I think people can figure out who that might be. Um, that, that was a decision that was almost a, you know, like a non-starter when he got the deal. He said, the other guy, <laughs> Teddy's the guy I got to have. And I'm not saying that was part of the negotiation with Tepper, but it was early on. I mean, it was like pretty much day one that Teddy was their guy and then the contract. And then, as you said, Billy, if you're going to rebuild and you're like, I wish I was wrong on that. I just added, it's an instinct thing with me. Instinctively, I just didn't feel this was going to be transferable in terms of what they're trying to do. And then you brought the best point of all. They didn't rebuild. They just kept scrambling the eggs. And here we are. So, uh, yeah, I just think it's 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 more than time to move on from this. The owner, there, there's always going to be a calculation with David Tepper. That's uh, how he has uh, gained his fortune. It's every calculated move along the way. And there's some financial calculations here involved in terms of what he's owed, uh, in terms of that rule, and what a college buyout could offset for that. And, and Baylor, you know, obviously – uh, you know, there was a buyout there too. So it's, there's a lot of money flying everywhere here. I wish Matt the best. It's never been anything personal. We've been critical of him as a coach. Um, he sounds like a nice guy with a nice family. And I think he'll go back to the college game and do quite well, but he's a college coach and uh, Sundays are different. Yeah, they are. And that's just the way it is at this point. And sometimes it works out. It doesn't, it just didn't work out in this situation. Uh, I'm not going to hold anyone uh, well, everyone should be held accountable for this, who made this decision, particularly the owner. And I think he has to answer some questions about where this team goes from here. And with the news that P.J. Walker is not the starting quarterback, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they beat the Rams on Sunday, to be frank with you. The Rams aren't a very good team at this moment in time at all. Uh, I think they're actually quite probably on the same level as Carolina. I know they won a Super Bowl and they have Sean McVay and Stafford. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me at all if Carolina went out west and beat them. Uh, but Let's just kind of set that aside for a minute here with the news that PJ Walker is a starting quarterback. Uh, there was a report by Jake Glazer that teams could be calling the Panthers for to look into some of their players. John, they only have four draft picks. Uh, this is yeah. that's not a good sign. I don't care if you're, you know, defending Super Bowl champion or you're, you know, picking high in the draft. Four draft picks is. It's very, it's not a very good use of uh, assets, and and they have to be able to recoup that. I don't care who the GM is. Um, let's start here. Uh, one topic that I think we should dive into here is where do you think? I'm not suggesting anyone should be, you know, tanking on the field, all that stuff. I'm going to leave that discussion out. But would you look into trading some of these players if? you're the general manager of this team and I'll kind of, well, I want to hear your piece on that. Then we'll kind of broaden the discussion a little more. I think you have to, I mean, you have to start looking at the, the roster itself and, you know, Steve Wilkes, I just want to start by saying, I, I think that, and I'm sure we'll get to more of this later in the show. I thought, I thought that was the ideal guy to bring into this role right now. Uh, it's not a token opportunity. And I don't want it to be because I, I, I saw what happened to him in Arizona and I thought it was wrong. Um, and, and there's a lawsuit pending there. So it's, you know, obviously there's a lot going on. Steve is a, a Charlotte guy. He understands like the real OG culture of this franchise, which I think rule was a big part of scrubbing from our memories or trying to with his branding. So I think those things are important. Now, in terms of who you trade, I'd take a deeper look. And I'm looking at like McCaffrey's contract. And, you know, like they'd be absorbing about $25 million of dead money if they trade him, you know, this year to another team. Uh, that's not ideal. So I think in, in, in hindsight, should they have given him that contract? Well, maybe not because, you know, he's a hell of a player, but, you know, here we are. Yeah, I think they need to find out a way to do that. They need to find some guys on this roster. Now, who's untouchable? I mean, there's a few. I mean, I, I would say. Obviously, Let me ask you this. You just drafted him. Let me let me give you five. Let me give you my untouchables, and then you can okay. respond if you agree or disagree. Yeah, I would consider J.C. Horn to be untouchable. I would consider Equano to be untouchable. I would consider Moton to be untouchable. 
And I would probably include Brian Burns to be untouchable. So that's Burns, Horn, Iquanu, Moten. Four guys. Now, some people think Chino's untouchable. Some people think DJ Moore is untouchable. Now, I don't know if you're going to get... Here's the thing. Every player has a prize, John. Every player. If a team came up and, and offered Carolina three first-round draft picks for Brian Burns, am I going to do that trade? I'm thinking hard about it. I'm not saying I'm going to 100% say no. The same thing could be said for DJ Moore. But to me, the players that I just really... I would hang up. I wouldn't say hang up the phone. I would say a very high cost should be Horn, Burns, Iquanu, Moten. And the reason I say that is because I think this franchise has been looking for years for offensive tackles, and they finally have two good ones. I want to keep that in place, no matter who the quarterback is or who the offensive line is in the future. J.C. Horn, I don't even think you're going to get the type of deal that you're looking for um, with him. I don't think you're going to get a first rounder back. And that's not saying that, I mean, if someone offered a first rounder or two first rounders, I'd probably consider it. But to me, it's the fact that he is recovering still from an, an Achilles injury. And I don't necessarily think you're going to get the type of deal that you're looking for with him. Um, and Burns, this is a tricky one, like I just said. I 100% think he deserves to stay here. Um, and I mean, we're not necessarily worthy of his services at this point, given how good he is. But the reason I say that is this, John, his contract is coming up. And this team is, I wouldn't say cap strapped, but they have work to do on the cap side of things. So if you do get a big offer, like, like I said, I- I'm starting it at at least two first-round picks and a young player or three first-round picks. If that sounds unrealistic, then I'm not going to trade him. Um, but I think that he's probably the, like, cream boulet of, like, the like players that Carolina has to offer at this point. Um, and again, some people might say DJ Moore is one. Some people might say Derek Brown and Jeremy Chin, obviously. I, I'm going to leave those questions to you if you want to handle those. But to me, I think those four guys that I have are untouchable at this point. Yeah. I think that goes back to, to what Bill Walsh had talked about years ago. And I think you hit the nail on the head and other coaches have mentioned this too, but I I think I first heard it from Walsh that there are some cornerstone positions that if you want to be championship ready, you got to have, and that's, you know, a lockdown corner, a left tackle, an edge rusher and a quarterback. And, and, you know, they've got two pretty damn good offensive tackles right now uh, for the future that they've locked up. So you don't touch those. Horn is really good at what he does. I mean, let's just face it. He's, he's been locking down. I and mean, he got hurt yesterday. I think he'll be fine. They've, they've got a good corner for that side of the field for a long time. And Burns, you know, look, it's a financial calculation. I think you're right. You got him on that, that deal right now. You're going to have to pay him eventually. And it might be a timing issue. Um and my personal feelings on Brian aside, because I, I like the guy personally a lot. If, if from a business perspective, you can get the value that he can bring you because he is that good, you might have to think about doing it. And it's not because I'd want to see him gone. It's because you mentioned the lack of draft capital. Here's a calculation to keep in mind, too. You know, I, I saw Nick Underhill tweet about this this morning. And then, you know, I had Michael McCarthy from Front Office Sports on my show on iHeartRadio a few months ago. And, and Michael's pretty plugged in. He unequivocally said he thinks Jerry Jones and David Tepper will eventually get into a bidding war for Sean Payton. Well, that's going to cost picks. And so part of this is you if you're if indeed that's the road they're going to go down, and I, I really do think Tepper's going to look into this, uh, you got nothing to trade away to the Saints in terms of draft capital. So it's almost as if you got to start thinking about, you know, Robin Peter to pay Paul in order to have the assets available to make a play for that. Seems Carolina's in this position a lot when they want something big and shiny, Billy. It's whether it's Watson or whether it's, you know, presumably Sean Payton at some point. But I think you're right about the cap, too. It does get harder next year. Here are a couple candidates. I, I think Dante Jackson, you know, look, his he, he's a valuable piece of this defense. His cap hit wouldn't be terrible. His dead money hit wouldn't be terrible if they traded him this year. 
But really, it's next year with these contracts that that make it easier for you to trade. McCaffrey, Thompson, Jackson, those guys' contracts really do give you more flexibility next year, according to like Spotrack, the way they break it down, the post-July uh, 1st trade metrics on the financials. And I, yeah, I think none of that is real negotiable because, you know, no one's going to renegotiate their contract to, to get traded to preserve cap savings for the team that's looking to deal with them unless it benefits their wallet. So I don't know. A lot of moving parts, but I think you're right. They, they got to they gotta field some phone calls. You know, Scott will. I have no doubt they'll try to make at least one or two trades to recoup some of what they've uh, given away uh, because they have uh, traded away a lot and they've gotten very little in return right now. Well, before we get to my response to that, do you feel certain that Scott Fitterer's job is 100% safe at this point? And if you do feel that way, um, do you feel like he deserves it? Because I have my own thoughts on that. I don't think Scott's without fault. I think Scott's made some moves that, um, well, I mean, he's been the GM when they've made moves. So who's to say how much influence other people had? But he's been a part of making moves that have been detrimental to their their future. Sam Darnold being one. Now, I think they've done some positive things in terms of their acquisitions this past offseason. Corbett was a good value signing. Bozeman was as well. And Elfline ended up being fine. So fair enough. Uh, I think there's still a lot to be determined there. I, I, I do tend to lean in the direction that, you know, on one hand, it was a little dysfunctional because Matt Rule was a part of the interview process for the GMs. So it's like Tepper and Rule were scouting these guys out, and Fitterer was the last guy they interviewed. I like Dan Morgan a lot. I think teams are going to be looking for him at some point, and I'd hate to lose him. It's one of those situations like people used to say, let's fire Ron now so we can keep McDermott. I mean, it's not realistic that that's the thinking. But if you can keep those two guys together for a couple of years and let them you know, evaluate the coaching market and put together, you know, a list of candidates. I think that benefits the owner eventually when they decide to go in a different direction. Now, if it's, if it's, if it's going to be Sean Payton, it doesn't take Scott Fitter to figure that out. That's who the owner wants. It's who he's going to go after. And again, that's just some speculative reporting that's out there. Uh, do I think Scott Fitter is safe? Yeah, I think for right now he is. Do I think he should be unequivocally safe? No, I think everybody's a, a weekly eval here. And I think Scott's a part of that in terms of, how does some of these moves shake out? Because, you know, at the end of the day, who traded for Baker Mayfield? And um, who uh, who greenlit some of these other moves? It's just, it's hard to say. Um, I, w- I would like to see these guys bring their own coach in and, and see how it operates at that point. Because I think Matt was really involved in personnel more than he should have been. And I think that puts an asterisk beside a lot of what happened here. Right. And I'm curious, again, on what his job status is. I personally don't have a preference. I don't care either way. The only thing I'll say is this. Given that rule, or excuse me, Tepper last time retained Marty Herney and felt compelled enough to go after coaching search by retaining the previous GM, I do wonder if he just wants a completely clean slate, uh, new GM and new head coach aligned together. That way there's no... Uh, disagreements or any type of issues with alignment or um, issues about, you know, who's taking blame with personnel or any of that decision. Again, right. that's just my thoughts. I don't know what is currently going through the head of the general manager at the, or excuse me, the owner. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. So uh, for now, yeah, they're, they're definitely safe. You need some time. I mean, you need a GM just to kind of get through the season doing some of the, administrative work and also doing you know looking out for i mean there's supposedly going to be teams calling for trades now so yeah i don't know i would personally again i have no issue keeping him or letting him go uh and the same thing goes for the other guys in the front office i i I have no preference john i'll say this i'll I'll say this i I talked to um, somebody who works in that building and, and scott was tasked by the owner this past, you know, six months or so, totally reshaping and rehauling their scouting system. They invested a lot of resources in that. 
Uh, they've turned over a few of their scouts. So I think that that to me is an indicator that, you know, Tepper might be willing because, you know, how it feels about using resources. I think it would be silly at this point, even if we don't agree with every move fitter has made. And I certainly don't to let this entire scouting system take shape. A lot of it was brought in from Seattle. Um, and I think it would be hasty to, to cut ties with him right now. But I will say this, too, you know, on the coaching search front, and we're still a ways away from that. But, you know, keep an eye on Ken Dorsey. You brought his name up. I think he did the the, you know, the, the shirt swap, which didn't need to happen because he's been here before on Ken Dorsey. But, you know, obviously he's done a nice job in Buffalo. He's tight with Dan Morgan. Dan Morgan's in this building. Ken's been here before. Um, he knows Steve Wilkes very well. I mean, there's a lot of inner dynamics there that that could work out. So that's probably other than like the obvious, which is everybody's going to chase Sean Payton. The more realistic name, I think, given the connections, would be a guy like Ken Dorsey. Yeah. Again, I, again, I just want to be clear. I have no preference either way. But let me ask you this: Let's say they do pursue a, a certain head coach, whether it's Sean Payton or whoever. I'm not good. I'll get to that in a second here. What who they should go after, but. Let's just say that one of the head coaching candidates really impresses uh, the ownership, and he says, "I can't work with Fitter." What are your thoughts, kind of, on that dynamic? Then, like, like that—that's just like something that does come up because there are some GMs who want to, or excuse me, some head coaching candidates who do want to work with their own GM. Um, it's not exactly rocket science. Some people they want to be aligned correctly, and so if you kind of saturate the market and you're limiting yourself just because, you know, you have a GM that not many head coaching candidates want to work with. Um, do you just keep it just to keep it and then maybe look for a head coaching candidate that that might not be as appealing or do you have to make that change at that point? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Uh, I don't know how God is viewed by, you know, the, 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 <laughs> the bucket of coaches that'll be available, but I think it's pretty favorable, but it doesn't really matter at the end of the day because it's going to come down to a bit of a power structure issue with Sean Payton. I think that's tough because, you know, Sean's going to want to be able to do a lot of what he wants to do there. He and Mickey Loomis were singing from the same hymn book for years and they had clearly defined roles and nobody stepped on each other's toes there. And I think this is going to be wherever Sean goes. And again, I don't want to get way ahead of ourselves, but that's one example. If Sean Payton comes to town, I think it could, be a possibility that you know he would want to have total control and then the words i leave scott so there's one possibility yeah i think it's a good question I, I don't know i think if you've got a coach that you really really covet um then you, you better make sure that you know the, the gm has a comfort level with him and that the coach has a comfort level with the gm and I just think whatever they do, do not dip back into the college game. I think that goes without saying. Let's let's look into the best option in terms of a guy that's been around the NFL, a guy that can bring the right people with him in terms of a staff, because a lot of these guys on this coaching staff will not be here moving forward. Some likely will, maybe a few. It's always working out that way. But at the same time, I want to give Steve Wilkes a fair shot, too, because you know, people are going to say that's Perry Fuel all over again. No, it's not. Steve is well respected. He knows a lot of people in that building, uh, including Steve Drummond, who is David Tepper's right hand man. And there, there is a real possibility that if Wilkes, much like uh, the special teams coordinator from the Raiders last year, much like Dan Campbell back in the day, had a good run as an interim, that they could look to do that. But I will say this: to be fair to Steve. Um, I think he understands that Tepper is who he is. And as one person in the organization told me at training camp, he's always looking for the next new shiny object. So we'll see where that leads. It's a great point, Billy. They have to be in step. And I'm just not sure uh, right now how to make sense of it. And, and that's the thing, because I, what I don't want is a situation that happened in 2011 when you kept Marty Herney and you brought in Rivera. Then after a year and a half, you dumped Herney, and then Ron Rivera was on the hot seat throughout the 2013 offseason and into the year, and then it just nearly sky completely spiraled out of control. And so I look at a couple other teams that have made coaching and GM changes this past offseason, uh, the Vikings and the Giants. Um, 
those two teams have made you know changes and they're both four and one at this point and you can debate whether they're legitimate contenders or not but what i see from both of those teams are uh, teams that are well coached and coaches that are getting maximizing the talent on the roster and you know as we transition this discussion now to what kind of head coaching candidates um you know the team should look for uh, obviously i'm not going to get into the college ranks i don't think that's going to be realistic anymore um but let's get into like whether it should be a new guy like a new head coach who's never head coached before or should be like a retread uh dan quinn's name has been popping up what are your thoughts on what direction they should go because well let me just give you my opinion I have no issue with Dan Quinn. I thought he did a pretty decent job in Atlanta as a head coach. And uh, what he's doing with that defense is Dal- in Dallas is phenomenal. Um, usually defensive performance doesn't sustain itself year after year. And the fact that they're able to continue to play at a high level, uh, despite not necessarily creating the same amount of turnovers they had last year, it just speaks so well to what he's doing as a defensive coach. So I have a lot of respect for him as a defensive coach and, um, he probably does deserve a second chance as a head coach. I just don't think Carolina is probably the right place for him uh, because for me, the biggest issue moving forward is going to be getting the most out of this offense. And I don't think they've ever hired an offensive coach in the franchise history. And I'm not saying you know, one direction or another matters. You want to get the best coach period. Uh, but for me, the way the game is evolving and moving now, I think you want a good play caller uh, to really help maximize your team. And whether that's someone from the Shanahan McVay tree or someone else that you find suitable, I think personally, I would lean in that direction. But again, I don't have a preference. If you want to go hire one of these defensive coaches who's doing a really good job, like a D'Amico Ryan, um, then that, that would be ideal too. So any way you take it, I think they, you know, have their pick of the litter and hopefully they get it right this time. It's an interesting question, Bill. I mean, we've kind of talked about these names before in terms of where would you go? And I've got to really take a hard, long look. I look, I think Dan Quinn has done a great job out there in Dallas with that defense. I mean, he's totally reshaped what they do and they've added some good pieces, including Micah Parsons digs in the secondary. Um, Here's one thing that somebody brought up to me around the league recently, and I'd, I'd like to take on it too. When you hire an offensive coordinator as your an offensive mind, and you're right, they have not done that to this point. Uh, Caper, Seifert, Fox, Rivera were all defensive coordinators. And, of course, Rule was what he was, a program builder in college who's coached every position group. Um, when you hire the OC, you have the OC as the head coach, and he's yours. And what ends up happening sometimes is you get defensive coordinators hired as head coaches. And what are teams hiring more than anything now? Maybe this trend changes eventually, but I don't think so. They, they go for the good young or even old offensive coordinator in results. And so you have a risk of losing that guy after two or three years. So I, I don't want to say drive your decision. I think there's a great number of young guys out there like Raheem Morris deserves a second chance. And he's co-sides the ball. He he's a really good coach. Um, I think when you look at like Aaron Glenn up there, I mean their defense is struggling, but he's going to be on the rise. Byron Leftwich is going to get consideration. Wink Martindale, um, if you're going to go defense, w- would be another name. D'Amico Ryan, hello. I mean, there's a guy who came right in and just uh, lit him up. I, I still think Dorsey. Uh, to me, intrigues the hell out of me because he you see how it works out with Dayball right now in New York. So far, so good with how they're operating that offense. And just from a, a larger scale, you get back to your point about the GM. The way that Buffalo Bills did it, Doug Whaley hired Sean McDermott. And then they fired him and they hired Brandon Bean, I think, on the 30th of April. And since then, they have been in lockstep, clearly, because they both came from the same operation. Uh, there has been no communication issues that we know of between the two, and they've built a powerhouse. So I think that's kind of important to your original point that you know you need to make sure that the coach and the gm understand one another they have a right uh mind together in terms of their philosophies uh they don't have to have a background together extensively but it will be interesting to see you know i I think dan quinn i go back to his record in atlanta i know the super bowl stands out 
But what impressed me about Dan Quinn was he took that team back to the playoffs the year after they lost that Super Bowl and they won a playoff game on the road against the Rams. So he's been there. He's done it. You can at least look at that and say, you know what, there's a head coach who had a team in the Super Bowl. They steamrolled through the NFC that year and they came right back and they got right back into the playoff race. So it's not for a missed ball by Matt Ryan to Julio Jones in the corner in Philly. They could be going back to another NFC title game. He had a really good couple of year run here. So it'll be interesting. I got to look deeper at some of these names. I would not go back to the college ranks, but uh, I guess Ken Dorsey now just stands out as a guy that, that makes some degree of sense given his relative connection to this organization, some of the relationships he's built, and obviously with Dan Morgan having heavy influence in that building, uh, that's a guy to keep an eye on. Yeah, for sure. And again, we'll get into all those names. I'm sure going to hear them come up. Um, yeah, obviously, I want Steve Wilkes to succeed. Uh, just because I think he's a good person, and I think that uh, what happened in Arizona was unfortunate. But uh, just looking at the landscape of what they're dealing with right now with uh, their quarterback situation and their offensive uh, issue schematically and play calling, I think it's going to be a tough sledding for him, especially looking at the schedule. Again, I do think they have a very good shot at winning in Los Angeles this week. Uh, but you know, after that, it gets very tricky. Uh, yeah. So we'll we'll see what happens. We'll kind of get it. I'm sure we'll do more research on these names as time goes on. But but like I said, I think that for now it just it seems like the status quo is going to uh, be that Scott Fitter is going to remain the general manager. But um, there might be more changes on the horizon with regards to the other staffing uh, on uh, currently on on the coaching staff like Evan Cooper who is very close to Matt Rule. So uh, Phil Snow, for that matter, too. How about this name? Um, I know they're not playing well right now as a team, but the, you think very highly of this guy. How about Scott Turner? I don't know if they go back to there, but I think Scott will be a head coach one day in this league. So this is another name to keep in mind. Again, the names, we'll get to that much later in, in our season here, but Scott's going to get a gig at some point, and I thought he's been really elevating in terms of not only just his, um, you know, his ability as a play caller, but he's got obviously the, he's got the knack for it. He's, his dad was in the league for a long time, Norv, and you know Scott. I think would have a good command in the locker room. So that's another name that's been here before that I think I might look back to. But uh, the OC at uh, at Philly, Shane, I believe is his last name. Steichen. He's doing good work. Steichen, yeah, I like his work. Um, I don't know. I, I think you got to steer away from getting too cute about. You know, oh, who's the other McVeigh guy? Who, who's who's next on the McVeigh list? Because we well, see another. Uh, I mean, of, I mean, they're all running the, out of guys. Right. Well, all the McVeigh guys have so far worked out. So I mean, if it's working, why not just you well, know keep following it? Just, yeah, I agree. I agree. I just I don't know who's left other than I guess Raheem is there, right? So yeah, you know, Raheem is that, it would be again. a good option. I mean, their other OC Liam Cohn, um, who did oh, really yeah. good work at yeah. Kentucky last year, and now he's their OC and. Um, he worked previously for them. And then, I mean, the other guy, the the Seahawks offensive coordinator, Waldron, and yeah. the, the way they've been right. able to just replace Russ. <laughs> you know what? Um, yeah, I, I, I have to correct myself. You know, that, that actually is a good first starting point, I think, because they, damn, they spit him out. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, but yeah, I'm not, my yeah. point would be don't box, don't, box, don't box yourself in too much with that. It's It's tempting. They have done a great job, though, developing, and that goes way back to Shanahan. I mean, the the old man Mike um, and Kyle and, and those guys. Yeah, I, I would, you know, definitely keep an open mind about that. And I'll be curious to see what happens in Miami because you saw the reports last year about uh, they wanted to trade for Sean Payton. Given their the situation they're currently having, multiple quarterbacks in the concussion protocol, they're down to their third string guy. Uh, they have an owner who is also very rash. Uh, at times, and I'll be curious to see if they move on from McDaniel if their season kind of spirals. I don't think they will, uh, but again, remember they yeah. did try to pursue Sean Payton, and um, if they'd go back to that well, uh, would Mike McDaniel be an option? I think he'd be a heck of an option if if it came to that. Uh, but again, that's just all speculation um, at this point, and so we'll we'll see how it goes. But the last thing I want to ask you again, we, we've already kind of touched on it about what direction they should pursue. And I think you and I are in agreement that uh, they should look towards 
selling off some of these players and trying to recoup draft assets. Four draft picks is pretty unacceptable. And given that they're likely going to be picking high, I don't know where they're going to be picking, but let's just assume it's somewhere in the top 10. They have to draft a quarterback at this stage in the top 10. I don't care who it is. And regarding that, even if you did have to, you can't just trade back out of the first. I mean, they tried to do it the past two years and they didn't do it. And so, yeah, I, I know Fitter have traded back a, lot, you know, a couple of years ago, but he didn't do it last year. And so if he remains the GM, yeah, he's shown an ability to do it. But at the same time, four draft picks because you're going out and spending you know, draft capital on likes of C.J. Henderson and Baker Mayfield and Matt Corral, it's, it's not good. And again, I'm not going to get into the discussion about keeping or retaining the GM. My question, though, is given that you and I both agree that they should sell off some of these assets and try to recoup draft capital. I mean, it just makes perfect sense for them to really start targeting one of these college quarterbacks high in the first round. I'm not talking about the fourth or fifth round, like a Will Greer or Matt Corral. I'm talking about a high draft, uh, you know, an elite quarterback prospect, whether it's Stroud or Young or whoever you deem worthy. I think they have to really look into that. 100%. I mean, look, they've been close in terms of the draft positioning. Herbert was right there within reach, uh, as well as a number of others. And a lot of people thought Tua would be the better of the two, and that is not really taking shape. And we wish Tua all the best. But they've been close in that draft order. Last year, you know, they're right there where they need to be, and they got a Quanu, and I I give them that. And in hindsight, I think Horn was the right pick. Maybe in foresight, I, I never really thought Mac Jones was going to be what I like to call an elevator, a quarterback that can put you on his shoulders and take you where you need to go. Herbert is that guy. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, in time, I think will be that guy. He's already showing flashes of that. They need that guy. And you know, you you can get that guy in the first 10 picks of this draft, I think. So we'll see how it shakes out. But like, that's probably where they're going to end up, Billy. I mean, they're one and four right now. I, I, I want Wilkes to do well. I don't want them to suck on purpose. I don't think they'll try. But I think the natural course of things will put them where they need to be in terms of uh, being in a position to, you know, evaluate who's on deck there. And there's a number of good ones, as you mentioned. Um, draft season will, will come early for us because well, I, I don't anticipate this team is going to make the playoffs. So I think we'll have a lot to discuss at the latter part of this season in terms of looking ahead to, to April. But yeah, obviously they've got to do that. They've got to get the young guy in there. And you get a new coach, new regime, new OC. This Matt Corral, I, I feel tough for the guy, but there's you cannot bank on that. And I, I told people that during the draft. So there's a lot of excitement posting videos out there. Oh, he's our future guy. Even, even if he had stayed healthy, he might not have seen the field all year long. They've just got to put put an end, and then this will be telling how they move forward, how much rule had an influence on how they calculated the quarterback position. They've got to stop chasing veteran quarterbacks. Just stop, especially when you're trading assets. You said this best about Bridgewater. Just let him play out the contract. And then you and I said it again about Sam. And here we are again, Billy, in the middle of another bad season, and we're sitting here in October talking about, well, the Panthers are looking to get Sam Darnold back into the lineup. I mean, this is where they are. So you have to put a stop to that, get Darnold off the books next year, move on from that, and, and get a young quarterback in the first round. And and you know what? Get a guy in there who can develop. Ben ain't it. I mean, <laughs> this, this offense, dude, it's just – it is elementary bad to the core. And uh, – you know, Steve Smith even went on a rant about it this week on his podcast and echoed a lot of the stuff we've been saying. I mean, I think it's, it doesn't take a genius to look at what the system is and say, all right, this is just not not good. So let's just get through this. You know, I'm not worried about what draft pick they get right now. Uh, I am curious to see how the team responds to Steve Wilkes and how they go about recouping some of these assets and if they can stay competitive. Yeah, and like I did say already multiple times, I do think they'll respond to him. I do think think will I do think they will play well to win this upcoming Sunday. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with the overall take there, John. I think that this pursuit of veteran quarterbacks has to stop. You're not you have full, only four draft picks. Who are you going to trade for? You're not going to trade for Lamar Jackson. Get that out of your head, okay? 
why why would he want to come into this organization that's currently in in a situation where they have to rebuild? I mean, you've gone five win season after five win season, and who knows how many you're going to win this season? It's probably looking like five or less. So I think they need to just get out of the veteran quarterback market, move on from it. You had your chances with Watson. You didn't want to guarantee him the money, as you shouldn't have. And for other moral reasons, he shouldn't be here. Um, just Billy, just on. one more thing. One more thing, too. None of these veteran quarterbacks that were heralded and celebrated have played well at all. I mean, Watson isn't played yet. That's a mess. Um, Wilson has been marginal at best. Matt Ryan has been terrible at times. And, uh, and maybe this is worse. Uh, you're cutting off there, John. Um, cautionary tale once again. Yeah, no. Cautionary tale about going for the veterans. Yeah, for sure. Again, I think it, it has to stop, and I hope it stops. And again, if there were competent people in that building, uh, which, again, I don't know if there are or aren't. I, I think there are, but again, I can't say that definitively. Um, I just think you have to get out of this business of veteran quarterbacks. Just move on from it, okay? It, a veteran quarterback and a rookie quarterback, the benefits are just monumental uh, as to why you should pursue a, a rookie quarterback, especially in one in the first round. I'm not saying you know, go draft you know someone from um, you know the MAC like in the third or fourth round. Just, just scout all these guys and take one like you did in 2011 that you felt was the number one overall pick. And if you're picking that high again, make sure it's you know the right guy and move forward with him. And I think you and I, again, we agree that they should really look very hard at answering phone calls and recouping some of their draft picks. Only four draft picks is unacceptable. I don't care who the GM is, okay? Um, this is not a t- this team has talent, but it's still not a talented enough team compared to the rest of their peers in the NFC. Look at the 49ers, for example, the team that just came in here and beat you yesterday. That's a talented team. They have all pros on both sides of the ball and you have to strive to get there. And it took them a few years to finally get to where they are now. Uh, but for me, the main thing is uh, you've won only five games with this collection of core talent. I think it's time to move on and uh, ask yourself some hard questions and, and really uh, make sure you're doing the right thing for the organization by uh, trading off some of these players. So, so yeah, that's going to be it for us. Uh, we're going to continue to cover this story as you know it develops, as far as uh, any other staff changes that are possible, any trades that if they do happen, what you know, what are the impacts and the uh, you know how do they respond to them? And then additionally, we'll also continue to provide analysis on you know how the team does on the field because you know, that's what most people spend their time on Sundays is watching how this team performs on the field, and um, unfortunately. Um, you know, the past three years have not really brought a lot of joy um, as to the events uh, on the football field, but hopefully things can change and, um, you know, things will start to move in the right direction. But uh, that's it for me. Uh, John, any final words on your part? Yeah. Uh, you know, thanks to Matt Rule for his contributions. Uh, coaching isn't easy. It's never been personal. Billy and I have always tried to be real fair about evaluating his, you know, coaching ability week to week here. And uh, I think he's made a lot of money here. He'll continue to thrive in the college game. And, you know, that's, I guess that's my parting shot in a positive way there that he came here, he gave it a try to his credit. He didn't pull a Petrino and fail and quit. Um, Really the, the one person you look to in this whole equation is the owner and it's on him now to keep good people in good positions, try to stay out of the way and let them do their job. And uh, good luck to the team the rest of the way. We'll cover it every week. Uh, draft position's important, but you know, there's going to be some guys in this locker room that want to win. They're hungry and I hope they give up. They- yeah, totally agree. Uh, thank you everyone for joining us. And again, we'll continue to follow all related news related to the Carolina Panthers and the future. And we'll continue to provide game analysis as well. Thank you, Neva. Have a good one. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.